0: thousands upon thousands upon thousands of interstate battery retail stores all over the United States. So whether you need a, a new truck battery, which by the way, I've heard that they are some of the best in the automotive industry, right? A truck battery, a car battery. If you need batteries for something as simple as a remote control or a unique battery for a range finder or one of your children's toys, uh, Interstate Batteries not only has those batteries available, if they don't have them, they can order them for you, or if you need to find out more about a specific battery battery or the specs of a specific battery, stop into their retail store and talk with a battery specialist. These guys are very knowledgeable about what products they offer and what it is that you need for whatever battery you're looking for. So... Stop in to a local retail store or visit interstatebatteries.com to learn more about their company, the batteries that they offer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check out interstatebatteries.com, Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, here we go again. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today, our guest is Al Farah, and Al lives in Western PA, and this is a really good hunter profile slash BS session where we talk about this aha moment that he had in his hunting career that led him to go mobile and the second he went mobile is the second he started seeing results and having more encounters and this is a trend you're starting to hear with this podcast whether this is the first episode that you've ever listened to or the you know the 500th episode that you've ever listened to the guys who take that jump into this mobile style and mobile can mean so many different things it doesn't necessarily mean the equipment that you're using but it means moving to find where the deer are not waiting for them to come to you and the success that these guys are are having out there when they do ultimately make that jump to and and dedicating themselves to becoming a quote-unquote mobile hunter and like I said that can mean so many different things but man we have an absolutely awesome episode uh, today And uh, it's just a BS session, right? We talk a little bit about everything. We talk about what caused him to go mobile. We talk about the failures. We talk about the success. We talk about um, how he basically witnessed... And I'm going to let him tell the story, but how he basically fell into the trap of just buying the gear, thinking that the gear was going to solve his problem. And it didn't. And then one day, he sees this dude torn up jeans you know an old hoodie and this guy's getting it done all the time and he says man i've been swindled i've been duped whatever i gotta i gotta make a change and so he talks about that in this episode man and uh i i love episodes like this i love the the realization that takes place because i don't know about you but that happens that happened to me right i fell into that trap as well and uh Man, I just like having episodes like this. That's all I'm gonna say. So, but we do have to do a commercial. And I was not prepared for this, so one second. Wasp Broadheads. Now, Wasp, I, I love talking with some of the people that work there on, you know, many reasons. One is because these people have become my friends over the, you know, the however many years that I've been working with them. The second is the second thing is they get excited about their products because they are participants in the sport. And that's a reoccurring theme of some of the partners that I'm working with. These people are as passionate about hunting as we are. And when, when I see somebody get excited talking about deer hunting or, elk hunting or, or whatever type of hunting hell it could be even fishing if i see that passion and it's not like they're really trying to sell me a product i see that passion that reflects on their product man and the best part about wasp is that a majority of their broadheads are still manufactured in the usa they're durable the material is the absolute best they're sharp and uh, dude i am a huge fan of the boss four blade fixed blade and i am a huge fan of the jackhammer three blade mechanical and i have killed of all the broadheads that i've used i mean even before the partnership i killed the most deer with a jackhammer mechanical in, in, in my time and, and then the last handful of years since I switched uh, um, I don't I don't really want to say switch because now I'm on the verge of maybe going 5050 uh, fixed blade has its application and mechanical has its application as well but when you have an awesome product like that that you feel confident in and I feel confident in wasp and I have for several several years now um, it just it's one less thing that you have to worry about when you go into the woods and confidence is key, especially in your archery setup. And that's why I love using Wasp. And I think you guys should definitely take a look if you're looking to transfer or transition into another broadhead, uh, whether it's fixed or mechanical, check Wasp out. I really think you'll be happy with the uh, with the products that these make that they make and the cool thing about it is you can call up the company and talk with somebody it's not an answering machine or whatever it's someone will answer and they'll help you whether it's help decide what kind of broadhead you need or just to you know to t- talk about the the material and ask questions that's what these guys are all about so uh if you want to find out more information about wasp archery visit wasparchery.com check out their broadheads and I'm unprepared like I said here's a discount code and I strongly recommend doing this nine fingers 2020 and that's the number nine so the number nine fingers 2020 and that's going to save you 20% off of your purchase so with that said let's get into today's episode with Al Farah from Pennsylvania in a good old-fashioned BS session in three two one all right on the phone with me today mr al farah al how you doing man
1: i'm good dan how you doing buddy
0: i tell you what uh this is a little bit embarrassing but i I gotta share this story right before i got on the phone with you i was making i pulled a whole bunch of vegetables out of our garden and i made some homemade salsa well my dumbass just rinsed my hands off with water and then made my way up here well (laughs) i did a little nose picking and eye rubbing while i was on my way up (laughs) up here to the office and i didn't get all the jalapeno juice off my hands and now my eyes Uh, and my nose are on fire right now
1: Uh uh-oh you're burning yeah i've been there before
0: yeah that's a rookie move you know
1: Hey, it's Hump Day. Tomorrow will be easier.
0: That's right. That's right. So uh, let's get into into this. You reached out to me on Instagram, and um, we got this connection going. And we're going to talk about uh, we're going to do a little bit of a, a hunter profile uh, r- BS session type of uh, uh, talk. A little bit about your your transition to mobile hunting and how it kind of changed everything for you, amongst some other things. But before we get started. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about where you live and what do you do for a living?
1: Sure, I uh, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, born and raised. Um, but right now, I am a you know a real estate investor. I guess you could say I buy houses and I rehab them and I rent them out. Uh, sometimes I sell them, but you know it's something that's kind of what my mom does my dad does it's kind of just grew on me you know as a little kid my dad used to take me to work with him, and we'd fix up the you know apartment building and all that stuff so you know it's kind of basically just you know been doing this since a child and just figured hey you know when i came to a crossroads in, in my previous career i didn't know what to do and just kind of dove in this head first and it's been good ever since
0: well that's good man if you if you love what you do that's half the battle right
1: absolutely yeah i don't mind waking up and coming to work
0: yeah, uh, so we're getting we're getting ready to go through a lot of uh, home remodeling projects in my house. My wife felt it was time for us to get some things checked off. Uh, we've lived in this house for X number of years, uh-huh. you know, and uh, she, you yep. know, I don't like. I'm just saying yes because I don't want to be the reason that I can't go on a hunting trip, or <laughs> it's just like get no, the get the I brownie mean, points. The yeah. yeah. Yeah, get the brownie points yep. done so that when November comes, uh, I can just go MIA for a little while. Adios. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So fair warning: once you start those projects, they never stop, man.
0: Yeah, I know. I, everybody tells me that I know, but uh, I don't know. Uh, so far, we've made pretty pretty good decisions with our house, right? I mean, we live in a we live in a pretty cool area in between two major cities that is showing a lot of growth. So we bought our house. Uh, I want to say uh, foreclosed on, and then now just from I mean instantly just from buying it, we gained equity in it. But now that's awesome. since the whole area uh, between these two major cities is growing and growing and growing, man, houses on our on our street and in our town they're on, they're on the market for like a day, and there's offers on them. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So.
1: It's like having your money in a stock market, just a little bit safer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I got a buddy who's kind of doing the same thing that, that you does. He, he, he doesn't necessarily do all the renovations, but what he's been doing is he buys a house, lives in it for two years. Then he'll go buy another house and rent out the house that he has. So that, that's, smart. that's That's what he's doing. Is that similar to what you're doing, or are you just on a, a little bit bigger of a scale?
1: Uh, Very similar, you know, I'll I'll buy them and you know not I don't want to say rundown neighborhoods But I'll buy them in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, the house will be run down, you know I'll buy them for 50 60 grand I'll put about 30 grand into them and then uh, I get a tenant in there once I get a tenant in there I refinance the house plus my profit. You know, I just did one. I was about 70,000 invested Uh, Ended up refinancing it for a buck 50 took my profit went and bought another house with it So, you know kind of snowballs, you know what I mean? Yeah and my tenant pays the mortgage on that refinance. Plus, I put you know a couple hundred bucks in my pocket every month. So, I'm um, you know, it's every month. You know, every time I do one, it adds more to my mon- monthly income and it adds more to my bank. So, you know, that motivates you to keep on going. You know, now I got a few guys working for me. I got a couple crews, and you know, I really haven't looked back.
0: Uh, well, that and you have a shit ton of assets, right?
1: absolutely yeah so. that's a good part you know my mom always says i'm rich in bricks you know i won't i don't have a million bucks on the bank
0: yeah absolutely and,
1: and so if something ever happened i went belly up i can sell
0: that's your retirement right
1: basically yeah you yeah. know when my grandfather passed away my you know my mom and her siblings inherited and when i pass away you know i want my kids to inherit you know whatever yeah. you know if i need to sell something for retirement you know that's it, but I keep telling my wife that when I'm 35, we're gonna go ahead and put a few bucks of some these properties, and we're buying a chunk of land.
0: Yeah, well, that's win. How old are you so now?
1: I uh, just turned 30 in July.
0: Oh, wow! So you you got your yeah. you are you're big boy. Like I was still a raging idiot at the age of 30.
1: I hear you. Yeah. Uh, you know what? My brother is a year older than me. You know, he had friends older than him, and. I was, you know, I grew up with 3 brothers, so I was always tagging along with my older brother. He was always tagging along with the old crowd. So, you know, I was getting sneaking, sneaking in the bars when I was 19, <laughs> 20 years old. I did the whole, you know, the whole bar scene early. And, and, and uh, I got blessed with a great job at my uncle owns a car dealership. And, and I did sales there and ended up doing finance there for about five years. And I made a lot of money young, you know. And I, I, don't get me wrong, for the first few years, I was that raging idiot too. You know, I blew a lot of it, but then, you know, I have realized, you know, Hey, let let me do something now. Well, I got a head start. And, and I did, I, I bought a house, bought another house. And you know, one day I just was like, you know what? I like doing this health stuff more than I like selling cars. So that's when I transitioned Yeah, and it's been great.
0: That's awesome, man. I'm glad you, I'm glad you like your job, dude. All right. But this yeah. is, this is a deer, this is a deer hunting podcast. And uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the area that you live in, because I've heard, I've had a lot of guys on this podcast from, all over Pennsylvania, from the east side near, uh, you know, near Philadelphia, uh, and then all the way to the, you know, the western part, closer to the uh, what, the Ohio border, right? And, uh Ohio side. Yeah, and yep. Pittsburgh's not too far from the border, right?
1: No, I'm about to, I can probably get in Ohio if I really wanted to in about a half an hour.
0: Okay, cool. So, I've, I hear mixed reviews about Pennsylvania, um, especially the western side of the state. I feel like This is just from the people who talk about, uh, that I talk to on this podcast, but the Western part of the state seems to be a little bit better than the Eastern part of the state as far as connecting with decent deer.
1: You know what I I would, if I was going to, you know, pick a side, I would choose for the Western side, just some experience. Um, you know, obviously social media, Instagram, Facebook and all that. I can follow a lot of guys from the Eastern part of the state, um, it just it's bias it's a biased opinion okay my cousin married somebody from over by harrisburg which is on the eastern side and he shows me you know him and his brother shoot giants on public land so you know it's there's deer everywhere maybe the western side gets a little bit more pressure that side's over you know there's new york philadelphia new jersey's over there so there's a lot of major cities over there so this side's a little bit more rural but there's deer everywhere, yeah. you know, there's deer in the city, there's deer in the country, you know, PA gets a bad rap for having a, a ton of hunters, but you know, I, you got to knock on doors, you know what I mean? If you want to get away from hunters, go knock on a door. Yeah. You
0: know, yeah. You know and
1: and I've had success in the city. I, I've shot deer in people's backyards when I was younger in high school and couldn't get around as much. And then, you know, I've shot deer up at my dad's, you know, my dad's neighbor's land, which is 300 acre farm. Basically it's a corn and bean buffet. It, it, there's deer all over the place.
0: Yeah. And that's it's funny you mention that because even, even in Iowa, right? And I know Iowa's a little bit different than the Michigans of the world and, and the Pennsylvanias of the world, but I get people every once in a while asking me, why don't why don't you hunt public? And my answer to them is because because I have private you know, because I, I, I knock on doors. I'm not afraid to ask someone to, to, yeah. And I I think once people get over that whole, and don't get me wrong, there's guys out there who get it done on public, but going, knocking on doors on private is is just, why not do it? If if you feel comfortable doing it, why not do it? And, you know, I know, I know a lot of guys who would say, Hey, man, I, I know there's the public land challenge that some people, you know, they, they talk about. But if I asked, I, I would even throw it as high as 90% of the people. If I gave them the option to hunt a piece of public land or hunt a piece of pri- private land, I don't care what state you're in, majority of people are going to say private. They're going to say private. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So, so is that what you're doing these days is uh, just a lot of uh, access through knocking on doors?
1: yeah you know what i i mean my brother like i said you know when i was working at the car lot and i was making a lot of money there we ended up leasing a piece of land um about 40 minutes away 50 minutes away from where we live in the city um great there's deer sign everywhere when we first walked it there i mean we've seen rubs, there's tracks everywhere we're like let's go let's do it we leased it we leased it for two years after two years um i didn't get out there as much you know, I got busy and I said, you know what, let me, I'm going to go back to this place. My dad used to take us hunting when we were kids. I went and door knocked. They gave me permission. I was like, man, that was easy. The next thing you know, I got in there. I was doing some hunting. I, you know, I was using OnX. I seen I was close to the next property line where, where I really wanted to hunt at. I went down to that guy's house who owned the property next door. I told him the situation. I said, I used to hunt when I was a kid. I said, I, I you know, I, I'm hunting on, you know, so-and-so's property. It's close to your property line. Would you mind if I cut through, maybe even hunted the edge? He said, sure, go right ahead. Just as long as it's archery only, no guns. He gave me permission. And that was two for two. Once that happened, I never looked back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I told my brother, you know, I said, Hey, he, he still works at the car law. So he's working 60, 70 hours a week. I said, you know, if you want to go ahead and do this lease again, we can do it. Sure. You're going to have to pay a little bit more. I don't want to spend money because we have places for free now. You know, all you got to do is knock, it takes a little bit of time and yeah, it's anxious when you pull up to a driveway, it's awkward, but worst they're going to say is no, yeah. you know, they're not going to yell at you. They're not going to say they're swear at you. They're just going to say no politely and shut the door and that's it. It's over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The amount of, uh, girls who told me no in college, I, I was used to hearing it. <laughs> so, so were <laughs> pro at it, I right. I was, you know, you it's you like, both. or even growing up, Hey mom, can I have this? No. You know, like I got told no my whole life. So having a landowner tell me no didn't phase me one bit.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I got a buddy of mine. He's got a, uh, his dad owns a, you know, a family farm. It's connected to the game lands. Um, it's like 10,000 acres. And he got pins all over that place. And, you know, every time I tell him, yeah, I got a new property, he goes, oh, would you do? Lease another property? And I tell him no. Dude, I just, I go up to them, I knock on the door, I'm polite, and respectful, when I ask for permission, and, and I bow hunt. You know, I'll go rifle hunt once or twice a year, but I tell them, hey, listen, when you're telling them you're hunting with a bow and arrow, your chances go way up. Yeah. And I'm just straightforward with them. Hey, I might be, you know, I'll be bow hunting, I'm by myself, you might never see me, I just want to see if I can get permission, walk to the property, and maybe hunt it once or twice if I see something I like. You know what? It it's just being honest with people. You know, yeah. when you're it's it's way better for you to just go knock on their door than sneak on somebody's property and get kicked off.
0: Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. And I'll tell you, bow hunting is these days even when I go and I talk to people about hunting on their property. And this is an example of the last time uh, I went and hunted or knocked on a door. The guy laughed at me because I told him I was bow hunting and he assumed that bow hunting was damn near impossible to be successful in. And he's like, if you really want to go ahead, buddy, you know, I don't think you're going to get a deer in bow range. And I'm just like, okay. You know, like, yep. You know, I I still like, I'd still like (laughs) to try if that's okay with you. And and he's like, yeah, go for it. So I got access. (laughs) I got access to that property because, you know, gun hunting, I don't know. I think there's just, Almost a stereotype that follows it along, like the people who gun hunt are just like they don't care about the property. All they want to do is sling lead, and then that's it.
1: Yeah, they'll be back next year. Three sixty five, they'll be back. I yeah. hear you. Yeah,
0: and I then bow hunters. There's just this. I, Maybe they care a little more. and The, the stereotype of bow hunters is maybe they care a little more. They're less. They're. They're less threatening. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, I've never. Gotten a piece of property, saying I want to gun hunt it.
1: No, I hear you. When you say gun, you know it's it's a red flag automatically. Yeah, you know what I mean. It just it just depends. You know, don't get me wrong. I I do. I grew up gun hunting. You know, I grew up. My dad woke. Like I said, I had three brothers. Woke us up, loaded up the cooler with drinks, apples, and a couple sandwiches, and and that's it. We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna walk. We're the beagles that day. We're gonna push. We're gonna walk. We're gonna go deer hunting, and we loved it. You know, but. <laughs> excuse me once i you know once i got in a senior in high school senior year my uh my buddy actually um in the suburbs you know right near a shopping center he had about a seven acre patch of woods behind his house and it's impossible to get into from the road unless you know somebody who lives on his street granted he lived on that street and he said dude i have giant deer in my backyard every day i see them all the time and i you know i went back in there one day and i looked around and no posted signs hey i'm okay and i did shoot a deer with a bow that year and I fell in love with it. The feeling I got when I, I shot, I just rifle hunting never even popped in my mind again, you know. And granted, my dad got busy and he kind of fell out of the hunting thing, and his buddies got older, so I was just running running around with my bow, basically for four or five years, trying to learn hunting in the suburbs, and you know, then I hit, I shot a few deer, and I said, you know what? It's time to, you know head up north. Let me get away from the city. Let me go find some good ground, some public land where deer don't, you know, you could go right after high school. You have your cologne and deodorant on from from after football and you're shooting deer and they don't, they don't care. You know, I wanted to go kind of challenge myself and that's kind of where I am now.
0: Yeah. So, you 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 kind of cut your teeth on that suburban herb, like suburban type hunting scenario.
1: I did. And I remember one time, you know, I went up to uh, my dad we used to go, just a short story, we used to go camping on the beach in Lake Erie. You know, when we were younger, we had grown up, we weren't poor, but, you know, we were, you know, lower to middle class. We didn't, you know, we, we worked for everything we had. So my dad would take us tanning. We used to go put up a tent on the beach in Lake Erie. We did that for a few years. Then he saved up enough money, and at that campground, you can buy a spot for a trailer. He bought a trailer. So then we upgraded to a trailer. And then finally, we used to always tell him, we want to ride quads, we want to shoot guns. And he ended up buying. It's up in Lake Erie still. It's about uh, it's about 30 minutes from where we used to go. But he bought about a. It's a 20 acre patch. It's a little farm, and uh, you know, I, I. That's it. When he bought it, I fell in love with the place. I ended up going hunting one time up there, and I had a doe, about 100 yards coming into me, about 80 yards, 70 yards, and then she stopped, and I can tell she she winded me, and she bolted, and I said Jesus these deer are nothing like they are in the city. Yeah. And that's it. You know, once that happened, I said I don't want to hunt the city anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. It's it's challenging, yes, to kind of locate a big buck in the city, but they're used to people to people throwing apples in the woods. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's kind of like those uh, you know, there's a YouTube channel, these guys hunt in the suburban area and they shoot giants, but you know, yeah, they get permission to do that, but to me, like I said, those deer are used to humans. They're it's, it takes, it takes the whole part about hunting away from the, you know, the idea of hunting to me is a challenge and I don't want to, I really, you know, I don't know how to I don't even how to say it, but I just felt like, you know, going, walking a hundred yards behind somebody's houses and sitting in a tree and you know, you're going to see deer. That wasn't a challenge to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause I've even around where I live, there is a, it's around a lake. And there's a lot of houses within in there. And I've been walking on trails with my kids and these deer stand 20 yards, 30 yards away from you. They don't run even some decent yep. size. I've seen some yep. decent sized bucks over the years. And you go out into the the countryside, like I guess you would call it more of a farm and th- they see you and they're gone, right? They're not conditioned at all to human no, pressure. Exactly. They they smell uh-huh. they smell they see they're gone right so I I get it yep. I I completely get what you're uh, what you're saying so when you made that change right to going out and hunting a uh, basically a different deer what you know how long did it take you to cut that curve you know to you're almost like starting over again
1: yeah I was and you know what you know I, I had. I was younger, and I had a couple bucks, so I kind of got too obsessed. You know, I, I bought, you know, five, six tree stands at once. Uh, you know, I went and bought a little buggy, a little quad, all the gear. I went and would spend three days at my dad's place hanging tree stands, cutting lanes, taking the tractor and putting plots in. You know, I got obsessed then where I was doing so much work in the summertime, getting poison ivy so bad, but I kept telling myself it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I've been, I was hunting field edges. I was, you know, I really wasn't hunting mobile. I was hunting pre-hung stands and I wasn't seeing anything, but I knew there was deer there. I had them on camera. I just, I just kept doing the same thing. I guess you can call that insane. I was doing the same thing, the same thing, same thing for two years, three years. And I ha- would have an encounter here and here during the rut, but I was telling myself, you know, our neighbor, the, the piece of public, not public, I, it's, it's a private, but you know, the farmer lets be people hunt because like like i said it's a 300 acre of just beans and beans and corn so he lets whoever go back there and hunt if you know about it and my and i see people hunting there every once in a while but my neighbor had success you know and i keep telling myself what's he doing that i'm not doing and then i realized that you know he never scouted he never hung cameras he would just kind of scout on his way through the property and he would set up on good sign and he would hunt from the ground and when I realized that, I said, we're hunting the same property. I have all the equipment. He has his bow and arrow. He has on, you know, just regular pants and a camouflage hoodie. And he shoots a buck every single year. So, you know, so once I realized that, I just kind of had to reprogram myself to to get out of that phase, to get off the sand, and the, the pre-hung tree sand, you know, all that stuff. So I, uh, you know, obviously this is about two years ago too when the saddle was becoming you know obviously you know the saddle guys it's it's like crossfit you tell everybody you do crossfit <laughs> i did buy a saddle and i fell in love with it you know i bought a saddle and i fell in love with it and i would just do the same thing I, I slowed down on the cameras i slowed down on putting food plots in and i didn't hang any sets i would wait till september you know right before the season would open up and i would just go for a walk here and there yeah. every little piece that i had permission to hunt I would find some fresh sign. I would put maybe one camera up. And then once the season came around, I would drive to every single spot I had a camera in the country. And if I had something on there, I would scout my way and see which way he was coming from. And I, I would kind of just dissect it backwards. And I, Yeah. You know, and it, I didn't get in the rut where I would beat myself up mentally hunting the same stand. And, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to hunt three days in a row all day every day. I'm not going to leave a stand. And then it's it's 1130, and you're you're exhausted, and you're hungry, and you're like, you know what? F it. I'm going to go eat a sandwich and I'll come back. You know, when you're in a new spot every single time and you're seeing, like you're catching those deer off guard instead of them catching you off guard. And that's it. I just, I fell in love with it. I said, this is, I've seen more deer this season than I've seen in the last three years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I fell into that for a while. Uh, and I'm in a tricky place right because i have sponsors who sponsor this podcast and i promote mm-hmm. their products and i love the products that i'm you know using and in, in the brands that i i rep but man i think a lot of people including myself in the past fell into the marketing trap about yep. gear and thinking that yep. the gear is the game changer it, itself now there's a yep. handful of products that i will say have have honestly helped me uh you know become a better hunter or maybe yeah. kept you know watch my back or, or whatever but there's not one product out there that if you put it on or you wear it it's a it's a slam dunk hunt for you it's absolutely. not going to make deer appear with larger antlers and in your arrow yeah, automatically absolutely. connect right so yeah. I, I almost felt i don't know about you but i f- almost felt embarrassed When I learned that it wasn't the gear that, you know, like in my, in my mid twenties, I'm I'm almost 40 now, but in my mid twenties, I got a little embarrassed. I was like, man, I spent all this money and I, I I read all these articles and things that think, you know, that said that, Hey man, this thing is going to help me kill more deer or make bigger deer. Did you have a moment like that?
1: You know what? I wouldn't say embarrassed, but it was kind of like a little slap in the face to my ego. Like I said, I mean, you know, my neighbor's dragging a deer out every year, and he showed me pictures of, you know, deer he's he's killed, and and I'm, you know, and as I'm getting out of my nice my nice truck, and I got all the nice gear on, and like I said, he got on old boots and jeans and a camouflage hoodie. You know, that's when I kind of had a wake up call, like. You know, I, I may look good, but that's not going to help me go a deer. Yeah. You know what I mean? This guy is just kind of staying back. Everyone else is going to hunting the edges. He's diving into the swamp up there. He, you know, he's he's doing everything different. He's letting other people make the mistakes, and he's sitting back, and he goes in, and he finds fresh sign, and he sits on it, and he strikes. You know, and I kind of just kind of developed that. And I picked his brain a little bit, and, you know, that's kind of like what I've been doing. You know, and I've, I've transitioned that I've took what he's what he does there along with the stuff I've, I've listened on your podcast and on the hunting public podcast and all these podcasts. And I just made like a, a smorgasbord of cliff notes. I'm trying to take the same thing that every podcast says. I try to focus on my access and exit. I try and focus on the wind and I try and focus on fresh sign and hunting mobile. You know, I, I try and, I try and give the deer as least advantage as I can. I don't want them to, if I go walk into, you know, a spot to check a camera, I used to be obsessed with it. I would drive an hour just to go check one camera. I stopped doing that because I realized I was educating deer. You know, and I just I try and learn from my mistakes. Obviously it took me two or three years to realize, hey, all this shit you're buying is not helping you. Put strap the boots up and start walking during the season. Don't go walk during you know, don't go scout. Now, granted I may go scouting after when all the leaves are down and I can see the trails beat in and all that stuff. But other than that, during honey season I take my bow I'll take my saddle. I'll walk, and if I don't find anything crazy that sticks out to me, I won't even get in the saddle. I just keep walking. I'll mark a couple of spots, or I'll go door knock. You know what I mean? I I just I listen to uh, Andy May. You know that to me, that guy's a freak. That guy shoots big bucks in multiple states every year because he puts boots on the ground during the season and he door knocks. You know, and he he's not doing anything that nobody else is besides just a little bit of more elbow grease. You know, he puts the effort in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's definitely what it takes, man, to, 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 I think, I think one, one thing people need to ask themselves when they start having this conversation about how can I shoot a bigger buck or a more mature buck or find the the dominant buck or, or even kill more deer or have more encounters. It it all, in my opinion, kind of loops back to yourself. What are you doing to get those encounters? to find those exactly. big bucks, right? You can't just yep. listen to a podcast and go out into the woods. You have to understand True. how, what you're, what you're listening to applies to the farm or the area or the exactly. ground that you hunt. You
1: need to put a game plan together. Yeah. Exactly. You know, Absolutely. and you got to let deer go. You know, I, my brother works a lot and he has kids, so he, he can't go hunting as much. So he has the, he has trigger finger. I always tell him, Hey, and shoot a doe it's september it's october shoot a doe but november don't shoot a doe he went hunting one time and i said hey i was there about three weeks ago and this buck's using in this creek crossing you might see him the neighbor said he's seen him you know it's, it, it's, it takes a hike to get up here but when you get up there you have a really good chance it was like november 3rd it was like the first snow of the year and i said he's gonna shoot a buck i told him don't shoot a doe whatever you do don't, <laughs> don't shoot a doe it, it was like his second time of the season going he goes out there And there's no service where he's at. When he gets in his car, he calls me. He's like, I shot a doe. I'm like, ah, you're an idiot. I'm like, it's okay. He goes, yeah, but wait. He goes, and then when I shot a doe, a buck came down on the same trail and just stood over her and sniffed her for like 30 minutes. And he's like, I did not know what to do. And he's like, finally, he just took off. He just turned around and walked back to the same spot he came from. I'm like, dude, you probably shot a doe that was hot. I said, if you had just listened and told yourself, don't shoot a doe, you would have probably shot that buck, you know. And and like I said, granted, he doesn't get to go as much as I do. He doesn't make his own schedule. Um, but you know, that's just something where that just reassures him now. Now, when he goes next year, he's not going to shoot a doe in the middle of the rut. He's gonna he's gonna wait and then just assume there's a buck falling her. Right. You know what I mean? That's just that's a rookie mistake, in my opinion. And, and like I said, I don't fault him for it. But he could have had a really nice buck on the wall.
0: Yeah, that's a fact. Uh, so I want to talk ask you about this this mini transition that you went through, you know, when you yep. witnessed this other guy getting the job done with, with half the gear, you know, way less than half the gear that you, that you did. Did you approach this guy and talk to him about his strategy or did you just kind of have an internal conversation with yourself?
1: Uh, I kind of was very observant, you know, he was, he's the neighbor and my dad ended up buying his, his grandfather passed away and my dad bought his grandfather's land. So naturally, he comes around a lot. He checks up on the property. My dad's semi-retired, so on the weekends, he's at the farm. During the week, he's here in the city. So that guy is kind of like a terror kid. He caretakes the property. He just looks out for the property. So we have a good relationship, and, you know, my dad kind of got out of the hunting stage. So when I go up there, he comes around. Hey, do you see any deer? you got any deer on camera? How's it going? Did you shoot anything back home? So we have the buddy-buddy connection up there when I go up there. Um, you know, and I didn't want to pick his brain too much because the farmer's property, that 300 acres that I hunt, they've been hunting there since they were kids, you know, and, and I knew that when I first got there, I knew that I was going to offend somebody or step on somebody's toes, hanging all these tree sands, cutting lanes, putting plots in And there are locals up there. Like to me, I thought about it and I said, you know what? That's disrespectful. I would be pissed off too if somebody else from the city came up to my dad's place and did that on his property. I'd say, hey, you know, look at this guy coming in thinking like he owns a place. So my first instinct was to kind of tone back for that reason. So I did a little bit and that kind of went hand in hand with trying to get mobile and not trying to dive in there and step on anybody's toes. Yeah. You know, there's a, uh, it's about a 300, 300 acre block, about 100 acres is a timber, and the rest is just, fields for as far as you can see and there's a train line that uh, goes right through the middle of it and it connects it to a giant block of timber and that's connected to the game lands so i I know that deer are running through there and what happened was beginning last year i went and just the same access i just kind of got in a rut i kind of was going in the same way it was very easy to me i would ride a bicycle down the street cut down the farm lane and just kind of walk my way back in there i seen two trucks in there so i turned around came back and I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, do I want to go hunt? I said, you know what? I'm going to go hunt. I took the bike. It takes me about a mile to get to where the train track starts as far as where it connects the public road. And I rode my bike along the train tracks So I got to the completely backside of the property. There's a little swamp there. I snuck my way in there. Um, luckily, I had on rubber boots. Snuck my way in. I found a little dry area in the middle of the swamp. I seen, you know, there was deer shit everywhere. I'm like, okay, I'm going to set up here. I set up here, before I could even get in my saddle, I was setting my third stick, I heard something blowing at me, I turned around, it wasn't a giant buck, it was a small eight point, 100 inches, 90 inches, he's blowing at me. And that was it, I said, wow, I've, I've been here for literally five minutes and I seen a buck already. I got set up, I've never seen so many more deer in my life and that was it, you know. that I, I just said, that was a sign from God, that was like, hey look, don't keep doing the same shit, go through the back, go do, it might be harder, but it's going to be worth it, you know? And like I said, ever since then, last year, I didn't do the same thing twice one time. And I seen deer almost, not every time, almost every time I went hunting. Don't you,
0: don't you love that? I mean, (laughs) dude, I, I remember when I had that, uh, awakening as well, that aha moment when I, I, I just one day, I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh, I forget, I forget what the actual reasoning was, I think there was a guy actually driving his truck in the field or something like that. And that made me say, well, I can't hunt this field edge tonight. I'm going to go in to, and I, I found, I didn't know it was a staging area back then, but I ended up, you know, seeing a couple of small scrapes and rubs. And I set up in, in a staging area and I was, and that night, you know, typically it's like the last 30 minutes, if I was going to see a deer, it was going to be the last 30 minutes of light, but there they were up on their feet like an hour and a half before yep. dark yep. and they were just milling around in this area. And I was like, dude, you have to learn how to do what you just did more. And then it's just about calculating yep. and observing and and, exactly. and talking to yourself about, okay, why are they here? What what is my wind doing? What is the terrain mm-hmm. feature? All these mm-hmm. things, right? And I'm, you know, did you have did you start to like recalculate everything from that point?
1: You know what? I started to think of it as everybody, you know, all the successful guy says, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to consider myself a lucky guy, but I know God's not going to put a 150 inch buck in front of me every time I go hunting. So I just told myself, I, if I'm going to go, I'm either going to go hunting or I'm going to go waste my time. And I don't want to go waste my time. I wanna go hunting, I wanna put the odds in my favor. I wanna access perfectly, I want the wind perfect, and if the wind's perfect, I don't really have to worry about my set. I stopped using sprays, I stopped doing the showers, you know what I mean? I just said if guys forty years ago were smoking cigarettes in the tree shooting giant buck, well, why can't I do it now with the right wind? Yeah. You know, so I, I just my main things were fresh sign. Obviously I'm not gonna go sit in the middle of the woods for nothing. It was fresh sign, it was um Access and exit and it was just timing, you know, like hey, I I have Mediocre ish type wins another thing I did last year too is everyone wants to wait for the perfect win And I heard you say before I started to focus on What wind would a buck come through this area on you know, what wind would he use this area to his safety? I would like to get behind him, you know, and I started using like up the farm at my dad's place I started using those train tracks religiously, you know I started, too, to have my dad drop me off in the morning on the quad, and I soon realized that they hear the quad and they know. Trains, they're used to trains, but when they hear a quad or a truck back there, I seen it. I was in the stand, and I seen another one of the locals was driving back at a truck, and I seen a deer stare at the truck. As soon as the truck stopped, the deer didn't run away, but you can tell. he, he She turned around and got out of there with urgency, really quiet, like she didn't want nobody to see her. So I just knew that these deer they're not city deer they're you know they're deer up in the country they know they know if people are on the train tracks and granted i'm not hunting right on the train tracks but they hear that you know especially when you're in the middle of the woods you can hear a pin drop back there you know what i mean so i try to just say you know what they just reacted like that to a truck and granted there's train workers there every once in a while on trucks i'm like i can only imagine what they're doing with a quad i can only imagine what they're doing when i come back here and get dropped off with my dad so i started you know riding the bike it is a little bit harder But again, I want to go hunting. I don't want to go waste my time. Yeah, You know, it was just a mixture of stuff. You know, I stopped hunting field edges. I started getting into the middle of the shit. I started getting in the swamp, walking through thickets or, you know, maybe you're not accessing through a thicket, but you got to get in there regardless. If you jump something, it's going to come back. You got to find out how you're going to access and exit anyway. You know, mobile hunting, like I said, mobile hunting and, and exit. I guess i really not exit sometimes I'm just freezing and <laughs> I want to get my sticks off the tree and get out of here. But my entrance, I just wanted to make sure that it was bulletproof and I just wanted to stack the odds in my favor. And, you know, I tried to take a little bit of everything I learned off podcasts and off watching YouTube and, 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 you know, use it in the woods. And like I said, it did, but it did take, it took two guys parked there to get me to go around back. If that would have never happened, I might have still been going in the same way and exiting entering entering the woods the same way. Maybe nothing that, that would have ever happened. Yeah. You know, uh, another thing too, obviously another piece of the puzzle. Um, I heard Dan info say hunt overlook spots, that property, me and my brother have been leasing. Um, I knock on the neighbor's door. I said, Hey, me and my brother released his property. I, I'm going to see if I can get permission to hunt. He goes, you know what? I have people that have been hunting here for years. Uh, I don't hunt myself, but I don't want them to get crowded. Um, I said, okay, I said, I was just going to hunt here archery anyway, but that's not a problem. He goes, you know what? They only hunt rifles. So you can hunt here archery. Um, I did that as I was walking back, it just literally a hedgerow, Dan, that can, that diver- divides into two properties. I jumped up a buck in this hedgerow. This hedgerow is 50 yards off the country road that looks at the lane that pulls up at the, both their properties. I said, wow, this buck was sitting here watching the driveway, seeing who's coming up the driveway. And and that was the deer I shot during rifle season, you know. I knew that buck was going to be there. I went back to the neighbor. It was it was the last day of the season. It was freezing. It was raining so bad. I said, hey, you know what? I can see that there's nobody down there in the tree stands. Do you mind if we push this little hedger out? He gave us permission. My buddy went in there, pushed that buck out, and we shot him. You know, it was a place that I would have never even thought about putting a camera or even looking. But the only reason I walked through there is because I wanted to cut over to the guy's property Go knock on his door, you know.
0: Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, at the beginning of, of your statement there something about you know finding finding how to hunt a specific area in any wind. And I actually um, I did a, a YouTube video on that a while back where, you know, if there's fresh signs somewhere and it looks like there is our deer moving in there, and especially if it's coming from a a bed-to-feed pattern still, let's say early October, or, you know, the does are even in a bed-to-feed type pattern still, it's crazy. Like, I still feel, I hear this a lot, well, hey, you gotta stay out of there, because the wind's gonna be wrong. Well, what you have to do is find where in that line from bed to feed allows you to hunt. That's going to be a different access route. Absolutely. It's going to be a different tree. Yep. It might be a different terrain feature or whatever, but it's on yep. you to figure that out, right? You just, absolutely like, I, I don't understand. I guess it's maybe just the way I think when someone says, oh, I can't hunt it because of this wind. Well, find a wind, find the area where you can hunt that. And absolutely and when I so that for me, that plus the you know, hunting off the field edge, there's so many more options in there. You know, it's like the closer you get to the bed, you have more even more options than let's just say the destination where something is at Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yep. I agree. It's just the legwork, you know. Yeah. It's the mind work too. It's it's you know, a lot of guys they, they they, you know i've been i was doing it even before i started to kind of hunt mobile i would tell myself i'm gonna wake up tomorrow at 4 a.m and i'm gonna get in there and sneak in there and i'd wake up 4 a.m and i'm exhausted and then i'm like oh you know what my dad's driving to the back you know it took that one time you just got to try it you got to take the leap of faith it took the one time for me to kind of be forced to take a different entrance to really open up my eyes like wow these deer probably haven't they're probably used to everybody coming in back here. They're hugging these train tracks. Nobody really wants to walk back here or ride a bike back here. And when they do come back here, they're coming back here in a truck and these deer hear them and they stay away. Like I, I, you know, I, I was, that's literally the light struck in my head and that was it. Ever since then it just completely changed the way I hunted. It did. Yeah,
0: Yeah. man. I feel you. Uh, I got a, uh, I got a farm that I hunt and I, I only have access through the East North is a different property. South is a different property. And the West is a different property. And I've asked permission to cut through all of their properties. And they've told me no. Right? And mm-hmm. and I, I used to just drive right down the middle of the, uh, of the farm, park off into this little, next to this old barn. But man, especially in the mornings, they were already on their feet. They knew, they saw me get out of my truck you know in the morning and they saw the headlamps yep. coming and and i don't care if you think that you know in some places right in some farms probably the deer are conditioned but it is interrupting their natural their natural movement back to their let's just say their beds their bedding area yep. and even yep. that that little bit of pressure going back to their bed especially on a morning hunt I feel disrupted. So, what did I do? I started walking a lot further, right? I, I parked my, my truck by a fence or a gate and walking through almost the whole property. And yeah, I may sacrifice a little scent getting blown into the woods, but I, I feel like that disrupts the property just a little bit less. And, uh, you know, yep. beca- because of that, I had more encounters.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. They know, you know, yeah. I, some things I like to take in consideration, you know, I, I have friends who are, they're like the die-hard public guys and they say, Oh, you hunt private land. Well, I'm hunting private land. That's heavily pressured, private or public. If it's pressured, it's pressured. It, there's no difference. Yeah. Um, you know, and I started thinking to myself, what are these other guys who are, who kind of were lazy and were going through the motions like I was doing, where are they going to end at? Where, what are they going to do? Where are they going to hunt? And where are these deer going to go and skirt them and get around them? And I started hunting like that, you know. And I, like I said, I got creative with entrance. I have um, another farm, uh, the one that I got permission on from a neighbor. You know, I, I door knocked. I got permission on it. I went and hunted it. I went and hunted it. And I could see a couple other trucks as I was hunting. It was a big piece of land. There's a, a, it's about, I'd say, half a mile to uh, basically a, a, a county road where there's houses on it. I went down to the county road. I seen that the owner of the farm owns two of those houses. so I'm assuming I'm like this guy's a landlord. I went knocked on the door. I said, "Hey, so and so gave me permission on his farm. I know you live here. I know you're right here." I said, "Would you mind if I just parked off to the side's garage and, and went up through the backyard and you know walk my way up the hill?" "Sure, go ahead, go right ahead." You know, we see deer all the time, and they said they gave me a green light. I did that. snuck up back in there. That was it. You know, I I seen so much deer sign there. And granted, I hunted that same spot three days in a row. I didn't kill anything back there, but I seen two really nice buck. And that was like a first sit basis, you know, and that was it. Like I said, last year was like a complete 180 for me. And don't get me wrong. You guys, you have giant, you have people come on your show or podcast. They kill giant deer. I'm not a giant deer killer. You know, I shot a decent buck last year. I've shot a few decent bucks. I've never shot anything 150. I have a giant deer on camera, but a lot of people do. But last year was one step closer. You know, I just wanted to come on here and try and convince anyone else listening that's hung up on the sense and hung up on the new gear and all that. Just get out of your comfort zone, regardless whether it's to go knock on a door or whether it's your access. Or if it's going to take you an extra 20, 30 minutes to get to your stand or where you want to go, just do it. Because the minute you see that resu- the results, it's just like working out. You see those results, it's going to drive you to keep on going and to keep on going. You know, yeah. I feel like I went from a, a level 4 hunter to a level, I don't want to say 8 because 10 is number 1. But I, I feel like I went up a few notches just last year alone, just from being mobile and bouncing around and hunting yeah. first sign, And like I said, just not relying on anything, not relying on the sense and all that stuff. I just... You know, told myself, the people back then, 40 years ago, can come kill deer in flannels, I can come in here and climb a tree and do the same thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It just takes effort.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned something there. Uh, you know, you started talking about score. Right? You know, in giant bucks. Well, if a state like, I don't know, let's just say Iowa. OK, so here in Iowa, we do. We have giant deer. Don't get me wrong. And there's a chance that every year I'm going to run into a giant deer. Does that mean I'm better of a hunter than somebody else? No, it doesn't. Right. Because yep. where you hunt, right, you said you, you, you've never killed anything in the 150s. And, you know, just because someone has killed a big scoring deer or an older deer, man, that doesn't mean shit. Because, nope. yes, a, a an older, more mature buck may be a little more canny when, you know, he's going through, he, he's got more years under his belt and how to evade mm-hmm. and, and know these things. But if your state or area doesn't have that uh, type of deer quality, you could be doing the same exact things that we're doing and not see big deer just because big deer aren't in that area. That does not mean that you're a shitty hunter by any means you're still doing all the right things you just Mm -hmm. you know your area doesn't have a a large scoring buck and i think i think that is that's huge for people to identify
1: true it is you know here's the thing too you know i I, I hear a lot about oh pa doesn't have big deer there's giants here i mean I I, i have pictures of Deer, in my opinion, are 160, 170-inch deer. I mean, stickers, giant frame deer, they're there. You know, you just got to do your legwork. Yeah. Yeah. You can't walk in 100 yards and put up a camera and put your corn there. A lot of people in PA, we can't bait here, but they assume if they go in August and and July and put corn out, the biggest in the area is going to come eat that corn. You know, I've seen deer in the stand walk or behind trees that have cameras in them. You know, there's, there's a big deer in PA. I see deer here every year, giant deer get shot. Like I said, uh, just off that property up there, the genetics up there are crazy. You know, if I ever hit the lottery, I would buy that. And I know it's on the point for everybody else. I would post it and I would manage it. And I would shoot a big deer every year because I would keep the pressure off of it and let those deer be comfortable. But there's giant deer up there. You know, you just got to find out where they're laying down. You got to find out where they're bedding and, and you got to go put the work in. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. All right. So I want to back up just a bit and I want to ask you this question because learning from failure is one of those things that in order to be good at something, you know, yeah, you can have natural talent, but this isn't a home run contest or a slam dunk contest, right? You know, if you're tall and you have a huge vertical, you can do great things. You know, you can slam dunk a basketball, but it's not like that for hunting, right? You don't need to be the most physically fit person to kill a deer right so learning learning from failure is uh, is one of the biggest ways that i've learned in 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 you know where i'm at today i guess my hunting career or whatever and and how I apply my strategy, my personal strategy to every, you know, every season. So let me ask you this. Do you have a story when you, when you said to yourself, man, I'm, you know, you had that epiphany and you said, dude, I'm just, I got to be mobile every time now. Do you have any stories where along the way where you failed and then you changed it or altered that decision-making process to lead you to become a better hunter?
1: I mean, I have a bunch of stories that I failed. And, you know, what, what I think then is that I I finally want to muster up the courage. And, and you know, I, I just said, man, I'm a man. These guys are men. We're on the same playing field. We eat the same food. We go to the bathroom the same way. They're killing bucks and I'm not. You know, it was after. I remember I went and sat in the tree stand. sun up, to sun down. That, and you don't see any deer. That's very humbling. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of like my, you know, one of the deciding factors like, i spent so much money this year on nonsense put so much sweat equity hanging tree stands and and doing all this shit that i i really don't need to be doing and and i just you know that was like i said one of the designing factors something's got to change you know and i'll be honest with you i'm not going to act like oh i just i told myself i'm going to change and i did if i didn't go back that one day down the road and see those two trucks I might still be doing the same thing. Yeah. I might still be going to hanging stands, riding the quad around, checking cameras, putting minerals out, putting food plots in. You know, I just, once I, I access from a different area, completely away from where I put food plot in completely away from where I had cameras and I hunted and seen deer. I said, these deer know people are coming in from there. And that was, you know, I'd like to say that was kind of an epiphany for me.
0: Yeah. You know, that
1: was, that was the one time thing, you know, it was, It was literally a week after I sat there all day and I was going to go do the same thing. You know, false hope. You know, I tell my buddy, he's like, man, I want to shoot a giant deer, blah, 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 blah. I said, listen, dude, it's just like going after the hottest girl in the bar. (laughs) When a girl, you know, when a girl gives you like that look and you think and she strings you along for two months, three months, four months you just chase false hope. Sometimes you got to know when to cut the cord and when to buck up, you know, it might be that one time you don't text her back and everything flips, you know, just like deer hunting. <laughs> it might be that one time where you stop and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do the same thing I've been doing. Something changes. You just, it, it all starts with you. Yeah. You know? And like I said, I, I was in a rut. I was a lazy hunter. I didn't want to put in all this work. I just knew there was a deer there. And off, you know, a lot of people get blinded by trail cameras. I have thousands of pictures of giant deer on my computer, and guess what? I never shot any of them. And but those pictures were giving me false hope, like, "Oh, they're here. I'm going to get lucky." And once I stopped, you know, kind of de- relying on my luck and trying to create my own luck, that's when everything changed.
0: Yeah, absolutely, you know? man. That's crazy. Well, I tell you what, um, you what have you learned then? I mean, we've we've kind of covered a lot, but. Yeah. in the last, that's a BS. That's yeah, a BS. That's right. That's right. But in the last 3 years you said you've kind of really changed everything. And every year you seem you've said that you're getting one step closer and one step closer to being the kind of hunter that you want to be. So in that three you can answer one of these questions. In the last 3 years, what was one of the biggest things that you learned that kind of led you to more encounters or you can say, what are you going to answer? What are you going to work on in the next three years to make you a better hunter?
1: Um, I would say the one thing that I did learn was, was that changed a lot for me was access. I mean, I would say access is your number one. Yeah. But, you know, deer, I don't want to say hunt you, but when you're, just like people say educating deer, you're, edu- you are, that's what you're doing. You know, a, a smart buck is, a five-year-old buck is five years old for a reason. He's he's avoided, especially in Pennsylvania, a thousand guys like me walking around the woods thinking they're going to kill him. He's outsmarted all of us for five years, you know, and when you think about that, it's incredible. Sometimes, like in rifle season, you go out and you see in PA, you know, that property, you might run into six guys on 300 acres and that's just getting to your tree stand. That's not including on the other side of the property. So if a buck is that smart to, to, you know, avoid all these Elmer Fuds walking around with their guns, especially during rifle season, then the littlest thing can educate that buck. And I think the number one thing is entrance. Even if you have a bad win, if you can enter and you know where he's at and you have a bad win, maybe that bad win, you can get him to come into 25 yards until he sniffs you until he stops you know the wind is another thing too is a one more thing that i've learned entrance and wind the wind does not got to be perfect if you if you do your homework and you kind of have an idea of where they're coming from wind really doesn't make a difference obviously you can't go hunt you know upwind of a deer but if 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 you kind of to that wind and and just play it right you can go hunt the deer on in my opinion any type of wind. yeah
0: Yep that's you know, that, uh, um, a
1: lot of people might say that's not, that's stupid but you know obviously i don't mean again <laughs> upwind of a, of a mature buck but you know if if you have a wind kind of just crossing you don't got to get right up on the trail 30 yards away and just hope you get it you get a shot you know yeah
0: yeah that's a fact man and i agree i agree uh you know don't be afraid to get aggressive i think that's the can't be afraid to fail yeah you
1: know whether regardless of if you're door knocking or you're going to hang a set or going to scout keep going you know keep like i said i've had tremendous luck door knocking you just put a smile on your face and be sincere and look them in the eye you know yeah. it's, i don't want to go hunt publicly and i i'd rather door knock 80 90 acre parcels that are 25 minutes away from where i live you know yeah. what i mean i don't want to drive an hour the closest public piece. go door knock switch up your switch up your entrance and your exit and just you know Keep the wind in mind, but, you know, don't let the wind be a deciding factor.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, let the, I, I think there might be a better way to say that. No offense. The wind, no, no, the wind will be a deciding factor, but it doesn't mean you can't hunt that area. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Well, I tell you what, Al, man, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and BSing with us for a little bit and uh, sharing your story. No uh, thank thanks you very re- Yeah, thanks for your time, and good luck this fall, man. Hopefully the pieces of the puzzle continue to come together for you.
1: For sure. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it, buddy. Good luck to you too.
0: Yeah, that was a kick-ass conversation. Huge shout-out to Al, man. Really appreciate your time. Huge shout-out. I say it all the time, and I mean it all the time, dudes and dudettes. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening to the Sportsman's Nation, man, uh, and, and the Nine Finger Chronicles. I love you all. Huge shout out to the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles. We have Vortex Optics, Average Conservationist, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Vortex Optics. I said that wasp archery and ozonic scent elimination please go out and support the companies that support this podcast they're all participants they are all kick-ass people and they all make kick-ass products so uh there's that i'm gonna keep it short man have a great weekend if you can get outside with your family call someone you haven't called before and uh I don't know why I've been thinking about this lately, but uh, you got to live your life with no regrets because, you know, if there's something you want to do and you want to try, don't put it off. Just go do it, man. And, uh, man, have a good weekend and we'll talk to you next week.